friends. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to the Will That's Good podcast. Y'all, I am so excited. If you are not watching this, I have a co-host today. Which is her best friend, me. Christian Huff in the house. And uh, we're so excited. We get to interview Dr. Josh Kirby, who happens to be family and who happens to be the amazing counselor who wrote in our new book, How to Put Love First. We are so excited. If you haven't picked up the book, you can get it anywhere books are sold. And Josh has had so much good, practical, sound advice that he put in this book that I just think was such a crucial part of the book. So we're going to get to know him a little bit more and get some more advice out of him today. So Josh, Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. We're pumped. Well, uh, would, would we all be considered co co authors? Yes. Is that what? Co, double co. Double co authors. <laughs> double co authors. <laughs> well, try authors. I yeah. have to say, Josh was really the reason we kind of wrote this book because people have asked me and Christian in the past, like, Y'all should do a relationship book. You should write a relationship book. And honestly, we just felt way too um, unqualified to write a relationship book, Um, maybe even a little bit too immature to write a relationship book. I mean, we have a great marriage. Uh, We've almost been married for four years. We have two awesome kids. But, you know, we look at people who have been married for 25 years, 30 years, 40 years even, our grandparents, and we're so inspired by their relationships. And we're always asking them their relationship advice. So we were like, you know, do we have that good of advice to give? And it was really cool because during that time of kind of thinking through that, Josh, you had texted me and said, you know, I would love to do a book together. I have some of these ideas of a relationship book. And you were just kind of encouraging me that I'm so vulnerable with people and real with people, sharing my real life experience. And you as a uh, marriage and family counselor who really set with couples and have so much actual practical advice in the area could kind of tie in some wisdom um, along the way to my open and honesty about relationships. And I thought, you know, that's actually a really good idea. I think that kind of would add a a great amount of maturity, practical advice, spiritual advice. And so that is kind of what led us to being where we're at today. So thank you for that encouragement. Yeah, absolutely. I I remember that well. And, um, you know, I, I think I'd originally reached out before you'd even met Christian. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the idea of it being a, a book about, you know, broader relationships, not just, you know, intimate relationships, romantic relationships. Yeah. Um, but obviously God had a plan for you to meet Christian first and to step into parenthood and, and marriage um, and kind of season yourself a bit. It's true. You it's know, true. Before putting a relationship books to get book together. It's pretty cool. But it is cool too, because it really this book is a broader view of relationships. And so that heart did stay the same. Christian, do you want to ask Josh the question of the podcast to get us started? I was just about to ask that. You don't ha- you don't necessarily have to intro my question, but I appreciate the intro. And with that being said, I will ask the infamous question what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many people come on the show not knowing you're going to ask them that. Oh, you can always tell. You can always tell when they don't know because they're like, oh my yeah. gosh, that did, yeah. that is a big question. <laughs> right. It's it's probably the guests that are doing so many podcasts, you know? Oh yeah, and, totally. And they, you know, they're not going, oh wait, yeah, this one. I love um, it. So I did, I did think about it. Of course, I've been given a lot of advice over the years from a lot of different people, but like what moment of getting a, advice stands out to me 
that I can actually go back to that moment of receiving it mm -hmm. and then seeing it kind of resonate over the years. And, um, the advice was from my mom, um, who is also uh, a counselor. And I decided to go back to grad school to get a master's degree in psychology, kind of as a second career, not kind of, it was as a second career. And so, um, I had been living in Nashville, Tennessee, um, as if people don't know what state Nashville is in, but I was living <laughs> in Nashville, uh, for about six and a half years. Um, and I was in the corporate world and I decided to go, uh, back to school and, uh, I was going to get my master's at Pepperdine in Los Angeles. And so I sold all my stuff, basically loaded up my car and I drove across the country. Wow. Um, you know, I had this embedded social life, you know, and basically left everything to start, start over. And I remember I'm driving somewhere through New Mexico or something like that. And my mom is kind of keeping me company along the way. And we're talking about this journey. I'm about to step, you know, foot in. And she said, and well, little backstory. She started her PhD at 50. Hmm. So she had kind of gone down this road a little later than I was for sure. Um, but had some wisdom in that. And she said, um, keep your head down and focus on the goal of getting through this. And, and at the time I thought I, I wanted to get a PhD, which I ultimately did. She said, keep your focus on the goal. You are going to take in so much information over the next two to six years. It ended up being six with the master's and PhD. You're going to take in so much information and you're going to want to chase so much of it because it's all going to be new and fascinating, but keep focused on where you're going. It's good. But here, but here's the advice that she shared that was most important. And she said, what will stick, what needs to stick will stick. Hmm. And I got iterations of that advice over time along the way where people would say, Hey, cause I, I'm a dreamer. I'm an idea, you know, guy of just hold on, stay in this season, you know, whether that was, you know, learning academically or where I started my counseling, just stay where you're at right now. Cause there's so many rabbit trails you can go in mm -hmm. where I think that advice really resonates for me because I've thought about that over time is like, that's the advice that um, I probably did receive, but that's the advice that I wish I would have received at 15. Yeah. Right. When I, when I, when I came to, to know Christ in an intimate way, mm -hmm. but then I saw that's what was happening the whole time. Yeah. Right. All these variations, all these rabbit trails, all this new information I'm taking on, not just in this graduate school um, pursuit of, uh, of, a, of a, a career in psychology, but that that the Lord leads you in a path mm -hmm. and there's going to be all this stuff that distracts. Mm -hmm. Right. But at the end, what's what needs to stick. Right. Is going to stick. It's great. Right. God is yep. going to put that on your heart. He's going to lead you in that direction. And I thought. So I've thought back on that many times That's about great. that advice and remember getting that. So I love that. I love that so much. And actually it makes me think of something Christian and I have been kind of walking through. Um, I, I, and I'll unpack this in full probably one day on the podcast. I won't go there now, but I had this dream since I was like 18 to do, do this thing. And when I met Christian, I told him about the dream and uh, then he kind of started helping me with the dream and Again, never really shared this publicly, so won't go there yet. But throughout the years, there have been 
just pursuing this thing have been so many different ideas that have come and gone and I've chased the rabbit trails or maybe it can be this and maybe it can be that or now I'm into this so let's add this to the dream and then I'm into that and then some of those things have died off and some of those things have stuck and now we're kind of at the point in our life where I guess since I've started dreaming about this it's been like eight years and all of a sudden it's kind of starting to form. Like we're actually maybe stepping into what I've kind of been pursuing for a really long time. And I I think about that advice in my own life. I'm like, man, that's so true. Like the things that were supposed to stick, stuck. And not to even be like, I think sometimes, you know, you can go down the trail of like, you're embarrassed that the things that didn't stick didn't stick because you feel like, oh, well, I told people about that or, oh, I was super excited about mm-hmm. that or I feel like you, you can feel like in those areas maybe um, it can be perceived that you gave up on it or that it didn't work out because you weren't smart enough or whatever it is. Like you can be insecure about the things that didn't stick, but I think that those things didn't stick for a reason because that's not really what it was supposed to be. And that's not the thing that God really put in you to do. Maybe that's for someone else to do. Um, And so I've had to, over the years of this dream, inviting people into it, like learn to just humble myself and know that like, there were moments of the dream that I thought it was this and I thought it was that and I was wrong and I just had to get back to the on track. And so I just love that you share that because that's super relatable in my life. And um, there's a lot of just grace for the journey um, in life as you go down and you're getting all these different things at you and opinions and things can be exciting and pull you this way. Things can be disappointing and pull you that way. But keeping your head down and knowing that what is meant to stick is going to is great, great advice. Spring is a great time to start something new, right? So whether it's cleaning or a new hobby or a new audiobook, a good story is always a great way to start a new journey and Audible has all that you need. I come from a family of great storytellers, so I know Audible is the home of storytelling, which is where I want to be. Audible lets you enjoy all your favorite audio entertainment together in one app. There's always something new to discover or you can rediscover some of your old favorites. Audible has an incredible selection of audiobooks from every genre like bestseller, new releases, memoirs, mysteries, and thrillers, business, and more. It is the destination for mind-blowing entertainment with selections of mystery and thrillers that will keep your heart racing. And with next listen recommendations, there's always something irresistible at your fingertips. Plus, members get full access to a huge and growing selection of included audiobooks and audible originals and even podcasts like, well, that's good. So you can download them or stream them anytime, anywhere. Audible members can also pick one title each month to keep from the entire catalog, which is some serious benefits, y'all. The newly included selection of titles makes your Audible membership even more valuable and gives you the chance to discover your next favorite thing. With thousands of titles available, you're definitely going to find something that you love all in one convenient app. So I know some of you are into, you know, thrillers, crime, mystery. And I got to be honest, that's not really been my thing. So I told Bella, okay, Bella, tell me what I could like listen to that wouldn't scare me, but I would like be into it. And she told me about this title called The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. And so I started it and John Luke loved it too. And so I'm just now on the cusp of it. And y'all, let me tell you, it is very entertaining. You do want to listen to see what happened next. So if y'all are into that, Audible is a great place to find those too. New members can try Audible now for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 
slash whoa or just text whoa to 500 500 that's audible a u d i b l e dot com slash whoa or text whoa to 500 500 to try audible for free for 30 days Um, I want to ask you because people, you know, if they've read the book already, then they, they've seen your work, but people might not know who you are in full. So I want to ask mm-hmm. you a little bit about who you are and your relationship status, because yeah. I have to say on Instagram, when we went live, we were getting comments and I did see this thrown out there. I don't know if you saw this one, but I saw Dr. Hottie and I was like, oh no, this dude's married. Uh, he is married <laughs> to a beautiful woman with three kids. And But you actually yeah. were single for a while. I know that was something you desired to get married, but um, you were a little bit older when you got married. Tell a little bit about your journey to your own relationship. Yeah, I met my wife, Kristen, um, at 36. So if you grow up in West Monroe, Louisiana, <laughs> that might as well be the nursing home. <laughs> so, and in our family, you might as well be in the grave. So, um, I'm, I'm half kidding there, but, uh, obviously I came out of, um, you know, our family system and into college kind of with the idea, I certainly was not seeking, you know, marriage. Um, I mean, I think part of my story is I've got to kind of try things the hard way first, at least part of my past story. But, um, you know, I didn't come out in my early 20s seeking that type of relationship. And fast forward, I would say probably into my late 20s, uh, 27, 28 was probably when I started to think about um, singleness in a way of, um, you know, I guess what a lot of people say is, I feel like I'm ready now. Mm-hmm. I was not ready. <laughs> God had a lot of work to do, right? And so what I think I tried to do was I tried to find the right girl. Mm -hmm. And I know you've spoken with people so many times about this. That's just not the way it works. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there were rabbit trails that um, were not fruitful. Um, There were rabbit trails that I hoped would be fruitful that did not turn out that way. Mm not knowing, um, where this was, was all headed. Um, but when I moved to Dallas to get my doctoral degree, I was 33, I was single. It was a new move. Um, I obviously just moved from Los Angeles where in Los Angeles, you know, being 32, 33 is kind of normal to be single Dallas, probably somewhere in the middle. And, um, I moved here and, I was, I was kind of back in this place that I was in, in my early twenties where I wasn't seeking, seeking. Um, I was at a place where I was so focused on graduate school. Um, I was focused on, on, on growing in the areas that I needed to grow in. And I I really fell into this place going into my mid thirties where I, I still believe that God had marriage for me. And I was still doing a little bit of rabbit trailing here and there, just at a different stage. Um, but I fell into that place that I that that I know is possible for people that have elongated seasons of singleness, which is if this is where God has me, this is where he has me. Mm-hmm. And my involvement in Christian community, my involvement in service in the church, 
started to become more of my life. I started to feel a sense of fulfillment in my life. I was still trying to undo some of the relational patterns I had developed over the years. Mm -hmm. But when I met Kristen at 36, it was then just about getting out of kind of my own way, Mm. if you will, Mm -hmm. Um, saying you're here, you're here, you've met this person that giving you all the signals that she can be the partner that God has for you. And I remember sitting in a small group with uh, the guys from my church. And one of the the guys in that group is a lifelong friend um, from from Monroe, West Monroe. I've been known him since he was five years old. And he looks at me and he was in the same boat dating someone. He was 33, 34 at the time. And he just looks at me and he's like, what what are you doing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, what, what's keeping you from taking that next step? Mm-hmm. And he, he had been someone that had been um, an, uh, an ear and a voice for me over the previous couple of years as we had navigated that singleness in our 30s together. And I just heard it differently that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I just heard it differently. Him saying, this is good. Step into it. And it's, yeah. it's what I knew. It's what I knew. Um, and then once that decision is made. I'm sure that you felt that in y'all's relationship. Once that decision mm-hmm. is made is I'm not going to step into this to protect her, to grow a relationship, right. And to move toward marriage. Yeah. Things just start happening. It's they awesome. just start happening. So, and here y'all are with three yep. kids just recently welcomed a little girl into the picture. Um, she's beautiful. Yep. So that's awesome. Um, I want to dive into a little bit of the stuff that you wrote in the book. That's just so good. I know Christian, particularly was impacted by um, what you wrote on perfectionism, because I know you can struggle with that a little bit. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I do. I struggle with it a lot, actually. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest, <clears throat> but I love, you know, the subheading is called God's perfection and our imperfection. And it's so easy to know and to be, because I'm, it's, it's one of those things I'm hyper aware of like how messed up and imp- and imperfect I am, but yet still I strive so much to do things like in a perfect way because I am a per- perfectionist. And I think, um, you know, I think maybe the underlying thing obviously would be probably control uh, your counselor so you can correct me at any point if I say something <laughs> dumb. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the, you know, the wanting to control things, I think, um, you know, I think a lot of it for me is the justice side of things too. I'm a one on the Enneagram, so a lot of it's like perfectionism. And it's not even necessarily wanting Yeah, wanting right to be done right. Whatever. It's less mm-hmm. like, you know, the bed has to be made perfect every day. Like if the pillow's, you know, slightly slanted, it drives me crazy. It's more just You don't really have that perfectionist. Yeah, I'm not I'm you? I'm not that perfectionistic, but it's um yeah, I like things to run efficiently and I like things to be done the way I want it to be done, which Yes, it's probably not the best thing ever. But, um, you know, no, I love that you talk about so many people that come in to meet with you are what label themselves as um, as perfectionists. And I really relate to that. Why do you think why do you think that's such a prevalent thing? Um, you know, we all strive to be perfectionists, but we all are so deeply flawed and we are actually imperfect. Why, why, why do we strive so much to, to try to achieve that knowing that we really can't ever get there? Oh. The age-old question. <laughs> so, in counseling and psychology, the answer is always it depends. You know, so 
Christian, I doubt we're going to have enough time today to unpack everything in your, in your mind. And <laughs> since you're a one, since you're a one, we'd have to have a lot of iterations of that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, and when I say the age old question is that, and why I put this in the book is that, you know, some people like yourself and a lot of my clients that come in that are high performing, successful individuals or parents or wherever they're at in life are saying, I'm such a perfectionist, right? I drive myself crazy, right? But, you know, to the, what you were saying, like that's inherent to all of us. And, and the point in the book is that we are meant to be able, we are meant to recognize our imperfection. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. It is, it is so imparent, uh, uh, imperative that we recognize that our imperfections, right, are, well, did you ever read the book by Brene Brown, Gifts of Imperfection? No, but I, I have you've read, ever read a that. couple of Brene Brown books and I yeah. love them. Right. And, that, and the idea is that our wholeness or our wholeheartedness, right, our, our holistic sense of self comes from acknowledging our imperfections. Wow. But I believe that the Christian idea of that, or the godly idea of that, is that it's just a reflection back on God. Yeah. Right. And I'll tell you in my personal life, and I see this with, with clients, that when we get to that place in life or when we, we learn how to incorporate this um, um this is how I kind of say it with my clients. When we give ourselves permission to not be perfect, that doesn't mean we don't want to do it well. That doesn't mean we don't want certain things to have a level of perfection. Right. We give ourselves the permission to not have to pursue that day after day. Mm -hmm. It's like a weight comes off of you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. To be able to go, oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. I, my mind is, you know, a mile ahead of the rest of me, right? Slow it down. Okay. Right. And you talked about chasing rabbit trails on like ideas, right? And I think that's the part is you, otherwise you just get too far down the rabbit trail. Yeah. Right. And then you're in that place that you talked about, which is embarrassment. And you're going, why did I even go there? And then yeah. embarrassment starts to sink in and you don't want to try the next idea. Yeah. I think sometimes too, for me at least, because I can even, a lot of times it's not even necessarily inherently perfectionism within myself. I think a lot of it can be like outside situations. And I really think, honestly, I kind of was just thinking about this when I, when I was just sitting here. But I think a lot of it kind of stems from, I think, like a certain level of comfortability. Like I can think of, you know, if, if, if we're having a night at the house and it's just the four of us or something, I can find myself, you know, if Haven goes down perfectly and it doesn't make a peep and she goes down and Honey takes a bottle and she's going to sleep and we're watching Family Feud. Like, like I can look at those things and be like, that would be the idea of perfect. But a lot of it's not really realistic, you know, and I think a lot of it kind of just is me wanting to be comfortable of, okay, honey went to bed. She's not crying. I'm not having to convince her that, you know, her little room is safe and she's going to be all, all the things. Then Haven's, you know, didn't have a blowout before bed, X, <laughs> Y, and Z. That's more realistic. You know, so I'm saying, I, I, I think a lot of it, cause I, cause I am perfectionistic with the myself, desire to be comfortable. but a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it desire. I think a lot of the desire is just an, a, a comfortability. And I think I can, because I do think sometimes 
you you can convince yourself to get to that level of comfortability things have to be perfect and that means that means putting unrealistic expectations on other people not only just you trying to make yourself be perfect mm-hmm. um what it makes me think of though i love it you're saying that is like the verse um when it talks about like peace that surpasses all understanding i think in mm-hmm. moments like that it's it's knowing that okay if things are not perfect or if I'm not comfortable, like I can still maintain, like it doesn't affect my behavior. Like I can yeah. still have like peace that surpasses all understanding. I can have, still have like joy as a strength, even whenever my life doesn't look like something that should produce joy. And I think that's where it's like, I mean, to how to put love first, like why it's important that God is first and that relationship is first is that when other relationships outside of your relationship with God are not going great or things are not perfect and our daughter does have a blowout and the other one's uh, having a meltdown and everything, it's like, (laughs) but there's still joy in me and there's still peace in me because like my relationship with the Lord is sustaining me to not flip out to not mm-hmm. cry to not like have these emotions uh based off of my circumstances but really uh maintaining who i am because of like christ in me um i love what you wrote in the book i'm just gonna read this paragraph because i think it's so good you say when we get stuck in life and feel we are not making progress we may even begin to compare our efforts and results with those others with sorry with those of others or the unrealistic expectation that have formed within us that can breed fear in us fear that we will not be enough or will not receive approval or love if we fail to meet the highest standards i love this part you said i made a mistake becomes i'm a failure attempting to make sense of who we are and the tension between our imperfections and god's perfection can lead us to lose temporary perspective of our eternal purpose and i love that so much because i've seen you walk through this and i'm going to get to my stuff too but i've seen you walk through this where it's no, like i, like, I, I, I like made a mistake but i made a mistake oftentimes becomes i'm a failure oh, it's almost every time almost every time for him it's like can be the smallest thing and it's like i'm a failure i'm, I'm stupid an i'm an idiot mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. all this like talking mm-hmm. over polite, yourself polite way so that. recently i've been telling him <laughs> you need to speak life over yourself christian yeah um but i've been getting really good at for it. the person like christian and this always happens every time we've had a counselor on the show we end up getting counseled um but for the person like christian who does jump to that like my imperfection equals i'm an idiot i'm a failure i'm stupid like when you have that moment of i messed up um, what advice do you have for that person to not start going down the trail of just extreme shame and speaking words over themselves like that? Besides saying, I am Christian, I am strong, I am brave, I am a Christian. patient man, mm. yeah. I am kind. Can, can, I, can I dabble into the, the, the psychology of what he's talking about? Yes. For First, Christian, I think you're nailing it, which is saying... I think that's that sense of control and being comfortable that's that's motivating that, hmm. right? And so I, a minute ago, I was like, it's imperative that we understand that um, we're imperfect. It's the same thing as saying it's, it's imperative to realize that we're not fully in control. Yeah. And that's, you know, what you're touching on there is, you know, it's it's rooted in, you know, the neuroscience of our bodies and our emotions of our in our brain is that we're hardwired right? Deep down to protect against threat. Right. And that's, you know, theologically, I would say it's since the fall of man, that's how this, that's gone to protect yeah. against threat yeah. as opposed to live in this open, vulnerable state. 
where there is no threat, right? So once threat enters the world and threat enters our world, which is like moment three in a baby's life, mm. that's like someone's not holding me or you're doing, you know, feeding me like I'm, I'm there's threat now, right? We're hardwired to, to, to protect. That is inherent to our, our, our humanness, if you will. But to live in a way that that isn't that the reactivity that comes from that protection, right, is operating in a less fearful or less protective state mm-hmm. takes work. Yeah. You know, just like we talked about, you know, love takes practice. Yeah. Right. And so to, to answer your question and kind of speak to Christian, right, one, to be able to recognize when I start to, whatever you do, whenever that plan, the spit up or the <laughs> tantrum or the whatever it is, doesn't go to plan, right? That you have this sense of yourself that, oh, here I am again. I'm in this place where it didn't go to plan. In counseling, we call it like a window of tolerance. We want to open that window. We want to get this space between this stimulus, if you will, and this response. Hmm. Uh-oh, threat to my system. <laughs> I'm trying to get to comfort. I'm trying to get to comfort, right? In this space that then allows me to respond in a way that's more flexible, right? Because what I'm hearing from you, especially in the, if we're going to use the Enneagram, like the Enneagram one, right? That sense of wanting to figure out where the imperfection is that provides that sense of, of security within you. You're, you're likely always going to be hardwired to, to, to protect or to hold things in place by having that that plan. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes, instead of kind of being dominated more in a chaotic way, which may be someone else's organization, right. You move more toward rigidity. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Holding it together, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful personality trait when it's, when it's disciplined and it's, you know, it's, it's planned out and it's, and it's open to the, the, the feedback of others. But when it's just you trying to create the perfect scenario all the time, mm-hmm. right. Who ends up, feeling kind of crazy in that it's you right mm-hmm. and i'm you know sadie i'm sure you don't feel crazy at all when he's trying to <laughs> hold to the plan you know no for sure i think sadie understands it most of the time um but i just i just had this thought and it i guess doesn't really apply to what you just said but maybe kind of but like for instance if i'm gonna go get food somewhere right and on the maps it says they open at 9 a.m or they open at 8 a.m right and I show up, and on their door it says "open at 9 a.m." I'm, I just, I lose my mind. I'm like, it is not like, it is not that difficult, you know. And Sadie, Sadie yeah. would just be like, "Oh well, it's okay. I'll just go somewhere else." And I'm like, "No, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, no, you know." Like I, I just, I. So sometimes I'll call someone and I'll just say, "Hey, you have to fix this." Uh, but sometimes I just let it go, and I'm like, you know what? I, this is okay. This is sometimes yeah. I need a little. Sometimes I need to throw a little wrench in the plans every now and then just to um, just to help my patients. Well, and in, in my mind, my my non-counselor advice to Christian is always like, you know, if you just live in that state of putting a, that expectation even on people that, that they have to uphold this perfectionism, like really, it's like you said, like who feels crazy? you who loses you because you will just constantly be frustrated if your um you know contentment of the day relies on people doing 
their job or relies on people responding in a perfect way or people doing, which thankfully you've never put that expectation on me. You're, you're very gracious to me, but just with restaurants opening and different people doing their job and the way that a parking lot is formed and all the things. It's just this expectation on society and people I just um, love to do sense. things like the way that you would have done them. But what I always say to you is like, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be done like that. I think that's a great idea and that would be amazing if people showed up on time. But if that is that expectation on people is ultimately just crippling you, you know, that's just going to make you frustrated. And so anyways, like, I, I love what you're saying of just recognizing that that skill set and that gifting can be a great gift when it is um, done in a, a healthy version of that. And that mm-hmm. is like a cool tool of the Enneagram is like, there's an unhealthy of everything and there's a healthy of everything. And so it's like the one in its unhealth struggles with dot, 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 but in its health, look at how much of a strength, just like for me, I'm a six on the Enneagram. So it's like in its unhealth, I definitely struggle with all of that, like security issues. Like I want, I want to feel secure. I want to feel safe. I need to feel this, but in my health, I'm a loyal friend and, you know, and strong Mm -hmm. in that and very Mm. uh, open in relationship. And so I noticed that and that's actually where I wanted to go next. I told you I would get to my stuff too, but, um, in the last chapter of the book, the last section of the book, we talk about community. And um, one of the words I recognize you using a lot within talking about community was the trust it takes to actually live in community with people. And I don't think that like everybody thinks about it like that, but I think about it like that. And I think that's because I have struggled with trusting people because I've of course been hurt by people just like we all have. And I think that like, even and it comes up in a lot of scenarios. Like the other day we were having to make this call for um, a one section of LO where we are gonna have to have a label help us out uh, to grow it. And uh, basically in the past, working alongside of labels or things like that have typically not gone great for me um, and it's been difficult. And so even though these people are amazing and they are so awesome, I was like, I had to finally say to my friend, I just need to acknowledge that my fear is not because of them what they're awesome. It's really my past um, and what I've experienced in the past that I'm putting on them because it looks the same, you know? And I think a lot of people do that within friendships and community. It's like because Mm -hmm. they've been hurt in the past by a friend, they no longer want to have any friends or because they've been hurt by this group, they're scared to go to that group. People do it with church because they were hurt by that church. They no longer want to go to any church. And so when it comes to putting yourself in community, obviously it does take trust. Like it does take opening yourself up. What would you say um, the, obviously like what are the benefits of doing that? And um, what do you risk by not opening yourself up to trusting community and stepping into relationships? Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned kind of the underlying uh, motivation behind, uh, you know, what often keeps people from stepping in which is they've experienced hurt. And so, you know, our brains, they're anticipatory machines. That's how, that's how we're able to drive a car without going, oh, put my right hand on 10 and my left hand on two, you know, kind of thing. I guess it'd be left hand on 10. <laughs> but that's, that's how we can do that, right? It's muscle memory, right? And we kind of do that even relationally, 
because otherwise we'd be kind of robots, right? We need to have some fluidity to, you know, interacting. And so um, you create that, that anticipation of what that experience will be like and what happens, your mind, your body, your emotions, all of it kind of organized and just starts avoiding or um, producing these narratives or stories about what will happen mm-hmm. or, you know, the opposite, right? You suppress that all down and then you step into, you know, I hear this, a, I hear this a lot. This, this, ha- you know, someone will come to counseling and they'll be like, I'm an open book. <laughs> and then once we get ba- past about the first 20 minutes, it's like the book shut. <laughs> yeah. Right? Cause they're so used to <laughs> yeah. about 20 minutes of, of throwing that, that elevator speech about themselves out there to, because it allows them to connect quickly, mm-hmm. but it doesn't allow them to connect deeply. Yep. Right. And so they kind of come out and they're, you know, they're super social or, you know, they've got a prepackaged like version of themselves. Right. But they're not quite sure how to show up fully. Yeah. And, and shoot. I, I get that. I, I totally get that. You know, the community of believers and friends and family that you and I grew up in Sadie, I mean, I say it and I live in a town of 7 million people. I, I say this all the time. It's, it was really unique. Mm-hmm. And, I, and Christian, I imagine you've experienced that as you've moved there. Um, mm-hmm. I know you're from a, a smaller community as well, so mm-hmm. maybe there was some similarities, but there's a uniqueness to it, you know. And I don't mean that just in the sense of you saw the same people from church at the ball game at Walmart. <laughs> I mean that was certainly true. Yep. But there was a, a deep intermingling of of believers um, that I felt surrounded all the time. Yep. There's a goodness in that, but there's also. Um, the capacity to kind of just go along, mm-hmm. right? And not think for yourself. Yeah. As long as you stay within this system. Yeah. Right. And then you get out in the real world. Right. And I talked a little bit earlier about rabbit trails. Um, and I mentioned to you the other day when we spoke on the Instagram live about some of the way I would connect in early relationships, right. As, as I was still wrestling through how I wanted to live out my faith on the other side of the, the, uh, security of what I grew up in. Right. When I became more disengaged from Christian community, something that I had known deeply since birth, essentially, I went from feeling like an insider to an outsider that couldn't be let back in. Hmm. And as I started to kind of form, um, a new path in my life, a new, chosen um, and surrendered uh, path in life with Christ in my 30s um, that really psychology, the study of psychology opened me up to. Really, I I started to see God in studying the brain and see God in studying psychological theory. And then I started to hear teaching. You know, Christian, you had Matt Chandler on the other day on your podcast, and that dude's just I mean, it, the best teacher of our generation to me. I would agree. And I started for sure. He, he's fantastic. And, I, and, and you did a great job with him. Thank you. I, I would go to the village church on Sunday morning and I'd hear this teaching and I'm just taking it in in this new way. Right. But there was still this part of me that was saying, um, and I, kind of, I think I put it in the book that sometimes you feel like I'm not relatable or I can't step back into the church or I haven't been it, near the church enough. I remember when I started to get back involved in a a local community church, 
because when I moved to California, that wasn't as much a part. I attended church, but there wasn't as much community. And I came to Dallas. I'm trying to figure this out. And I remember the when I first stepped in, um, I started serving in a ministry. I started sh- serving in a grief ministry. It's called Grief Share for people that have lost loved ones. And I remember the first night I walked in there, I was like, I got no business being here. I'm not good enough to do this. I, you know, they're going to think I'm a fraud. But after about a week or two, and we would step into the, the volunteer meetings, not only did I realize I didn't have to think like that, I realized everyone else in there had thought that too. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. Oh. I'm amongst friends. Yeah, We're all real. just trying to figure this out. Yeah. We're just here to, to help care and pray and love on people that, that are grieving right now. That's yeah. it. That's the only reason we're here. And so that's what happens, I think, that you talked about the benefit is that you, you walk in and it's not about you go in there and it's like, no, you're going to find that people are going to love you because that's what people say. No, you've got a great personality. You're going to take to people so fast. It's, it's like when you step into real community, it's not about that. Yeah. It's, a, you, it's about belonging. Yes. Right. So um, that that's my answer. It's great. I love that so much. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to read this quote. I read it on Instagram Live, but it was so good. And you said, we often talk about the highlights, the Instagram parts of our life, but you cannot post, smile, and filter your way to closeness. And it's so real. I just love that's kind of what you're sharing. Like you, I wrote about this and um, I think I wrote about it in Who Are You Following when I was talking about the difference in being liked and being loved. Mm -hmm. And so many of us, it's like we have such a desire. We truly have a desire to be loved, but sometimes we act like we just want to be liked. And being liked is so different than being loved because you normally, whenever you're just liked, I mean, think about just Instagram, like someone likes your post. It's like you kind of know deep down, like they like me, but they don't really know me. And if they knew me, they might not actually love me and they might not even like Mm -hmm. me because it's not as filtered as this and it's not as pretty as this. Mm -hmm. It's not as likable Mm -hmm. as this. But there's this beautiful thing whenever it's like, oh, you love me and you know me. Like you've seen it all. You haven't just seen Mm -hmm. the filtered side. You haven't just seen the polished side. Like you've seen all of it and you still love me. And like that's the power of being loved is that you're also fully known and they still chose to love you despite you being unlikable at times. And it's just a beautiful thing. And I love how you mentioned that about like some of us sometimes we're like, oh yeah, we're an open book. And it's really just like our filtered version of our testimony or our filtered version of what that looks like. And man, I've experienced that so much. I remember there was a time where it's like I told my story so much and I was like, that's really just like the story I've gotten so used to telling in front of people and my life has always lived on camera. So it's like, I think people, you know, I think I'm being over. I think I'm sharing all this with them. I'm like, but there's really like layers to that. And I feel like over the past maybe two years or so, especially on this podcast, just kind of gotten rid of that. Like, no, this really is me. This really is what we're talking about and what it's done for me and being totally authentically myself. And probably more than two years ago, it's probably been, I mean, at least since we got married that I've been very real and all the things. I feel like what it's done for me is it's freed me to just be me everywhere. I think used to um, before we got married, probably like six, seven years ago, whenever I was, you know, uh, 
known by a lot of people but not really known by anyone I had this fear that like if they really knew me then they wouldn't like me as much or they would think maybe I'm a hypocrite because I have some of these thoughts or feelings or insecurities and um, you know when you're young or even anytime if you're just struggling with insecurities or maturity you think like you have to be a certain way for people like present yourself a certain way to be um smart enough to be saying what you're saying or to be uh, schooled enough or whatever it is. And so I think Mm -hmm. I just lived in a lot of insecurities. And finally, I was like, you know, I'm just going to be who I am because I feel like I'm scared. Like one day people are going to find out whatever. And there's not even anything to find Mm -hmm. out. But there's just like this real side of me that I need to express. And once I started just like showing up who I am, telling it how it is, being authentic, like it just freed me in so many different ways in my life. I actually noticed I didn't have as much anxiety. I um, didn't, I mean, it changed, it really changed everything. And it's really cool for me because I can trust and know that the same person I'm being here is the same person people will meet when they see me in anywhere like I get in the same conversation you know randomly meeting someone and just being authentically who you are in every different stage of your life and every different space that you walk in it's just such a gift to give yourself even and uh, it's such a gift to give others who you're doing life with because ultimately like we all are image bearers of Christ we all have something to bring to the table we all have uh, a little bit of a different angle than what the next person in the room has and so walking in as an original is such a great gift. So I love it. You talked about that. I love that you wrote about that. Um, Christian, do you have any, I know we've already gone 45 minutes. It's just crazy. Do you have anything else that you want to share or talk about? I really don't. I mean, I think, you know, just from the book perspective, if you're listening to this and you're like, why would I want to go buy another lovey-dovey book about relationships? <laughs> it is not that. It is a book about relationships in general. And, um, yeah, I'm just really excited about it. Really, um, I've I've been seeing some people tag us about doing the challenge with uh, a friend or with a spouse or with a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Um, yeah, just really excited. And I think Josh, I think you had so much practical, um, you know, stuff to so much of the um, maybe things that me and Sadie try to put language to. You put um, language to it from a uh, philosophical perspective and from a deeper thinking perspective, which I think is really cool. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited about this project and excited that people are going to pick it up and, and read about it. And yeah, more than anything, we hope that it brings people closer to Jesus. And um, I think that you uh, help. I think you were the cherry on top to help us do that. So just really grateful for you and just for your part in this book. And um just really excited for people to go check it out. Yep. Josh, seriously, thank you for encouraging us to do this book, for speaking that years ago uh, before I even met Christian about doing a relationship book and then going along the journey with us and then even coming on this podcast and counseling us. We're like, every time, every time we have a counselor on, we get counseled. And, uh, you know, we do want to live our life in such a way that we are open with our lives. Um so that other people who are listening in can learn because I know mm-hmm. people are listening in who are just like Christian. The moment they make a mistake, they're a failure and they're stupid. And then people are listening who are like me and they've been burnt in the past and they're scared to trust people. And, you know, we ultimately believe that like 
what is that saying that people have in the church where it's like your brokenness is like welcome here but we always say it's like yes it's welcome here but you don't have to stay broken like there there is a redemptive part of the story like there is hope for the future there is a god who can sanctify and make new and make right and so we want to get better you know and so thank you for helping us get better and thank you for all that you do and for writing in how to put love first we appreciate you so much Thanks, Sadie. Thanks, Christian. Uh, this was a blessing to be able to work with y'all on this book. You guys are awesome. And uh, I hope, obviously, the book touches many people. And um, yeah, thanks again for, for having me. Yes, thank you so much.